The Startup to Scale Up Game Plan is brought to you by Alpina Search, Europe's premier talent search firm, dedicated to helping technology startups and scale-ups recruit high-impact executives. Now over to your host, Gary Riemann. I'm delighted to welcome uh, Netta Medav, the uh, co-founder and CEO at uh, Vault Platform, a uh, Series A-funded baby unicorn pioneering trust tech. This is a, a new category of ethics-enabling workplace technology, solving a major problem for enterprise compliance, risk, and uh, HR. A Vault Platform is funded by some pretty major VCs like uh, Gradient Ventures, Angular Ventures, Kindra Capital, and Illuminate Financial, and a few others. And they've implemented their solution at companies, well-known brands like uh, Trustpilot and Airbnb. So, uh, Netta, welcome to this week's show. Thank you, Gary. Really happy to be here. Before launching Vault Platform, you spent several years working in climate change. So you're clearly very, very mission-driven. What prompted you to switch from tackling climate change to addressing corporate ethics and work culture? Funny, because they sound like two very different topics, don't they? However, there is a thread there. There is a common thread. I was responsible. I was indeed a climate change negotiator. So I was a member of the UK delegation and negotiation team to the UNF. Triple C, so the climate talks um, and the climate uh, negotiate the international climate negotiations, and I was uh, negotiating for the UK and the EU at the good old days when the two sat on the same side of the table. But my role within within the discussions, of course, it's a you know it's a huge process involving thousands of people in total, representing more than 150 countries. My role in particular was to look into the reporting mechanisms of the treaty and finding the loopholes through which countries can actually cheat and report fraudulent data on their uh, carbon emissions. So interestingly, the topic of reporting and verification has already been at the heart of what I've done in the past. But yes, you're right. Mission-driven and very passionate about solving big problems. That has always been another thread in my career. For some reason, I'm attracted to those big, hairy, sticky problems that are being very uh, hard to solve, hard uh, nuts to crack. And I've been always attracted to the solution side of things. When the idea for Vault came to mind, it was just, it was one of those epiphany moments where I had like a little light bulb above my head and I felt compelled to bring this idea to life. Where were you in that moment when the light bulb appeared? At my kitchen table, at my kitchen table. Um, And uh, the idea came through a conversation with my husband and my partner involved CTO. It was brought to life when we realized that the world of work is going through a revolution right now and trust is becoming instrumental more than ever and the cost of risk is becoming higher and higher more than ever and uh, new solutions are needed in order to help both companies and their people to avoid the risk of misconduct ethical breaches and other 
major major issues which impact people, companies, society and environment. Absolutely. And there's a trial going on in the States at the moment with um, Theranos. Are you watching that closely? Can you see how your technology could have been extremely relevant to the situation that company and that and, and the founder found herself in? You know, it's incredible where where my job is taking me because only a few weeks ago I actually sat down for dinner in San Francisco with Tyler Schultz, the grandson of the former Secretary of State George Schultz, who is one of the key witnesses and the main whistleblower who exposed the Theranos story. And he's a huge fan of what we do. And uh, we were talking in length about how Vault could have or potentially could not have helped Theranos at that time. The issue about Theranos is that the problem really did start from the very top. It started from the founder, Elizabeth Holmes, who ran her business at a certain way, which was in, incredibly unethical and, and fraudulent and, and had terrible consequences, not just for investors, but for human lives, for health, you know, on, on people's health. That's really mind-blowing. So in this case, you had, you certainly did not have a company that put ethics at the top of the agenda. But for majority of companies, Gary, Vault is actually incredibly instrumental because majority of companies, their management, their board, for whatever reason, be it an altruistic reason of trying to do the right thing by their people and run healthy companies, or is it just because they're protecting investor and shareholder interest? But majority of companies are trying to avoid these terrible catastrophes and scandals and prevent them and uh, and protect their people from, from that risk. So for the vast majority of companies, a reporting solution that brings transparency and accountability to the heart of the business is, is actually the only way to go. Have you sold your solution to any governments? I'm just thinking of the situation, for example, that the British government finds itself in today, this morning, where they've been called in a bit of a mess by uh, their attempts to cover up this, this Christmas party a year ago that was held during a period when the whole nation was in strict, strict lockdown. So are governments clients of yours, or is that really outside of your, your target segment? It's funny you ask that, Gary. Um, governments are definitely a top target in many ways, and it, it makes a lot of sense for us to work with governments. We don't work with governments per se, though we do have government agencies we work with, including the Center for Disease Control in the US. I have tried. I actually, it was actually very moving uh, and, and, and personally important moment for me to be back in Whitehall now as a founder, not as a civil servant, with a solution that I developed based on things I've seen and witnessed myself during my 10 years in government. And uh, there were multiple government departments in the UK that were highly interested, but red tape, bureaucracy, and process came in the way. And unfortunately, um, it didn't come to fruitation. We are always keen and always open, and um, and uh, I'd be more than happy to see our solution being implemented within the British government, but any you know with any government in the future. As a startup founder. 
my job is to maintain the company's focus. And one of the things we've learned along the way that saddened me, but it, it was also a very important truth to acknowledge is that as much as we want to work with governments, with universities, with hospitals, we believe we belong there. These are the type of organizations, sorry, charities as well, which is you know, huge for us. Unfortunately, these are the types of organizations that are known to be the opposite of early adopters, right, of, of, of technology. And it's very, very difficult to be working with them uh, and getting a solution uh, to be adopted. And so we're not being very proactive with these sectors, but I believe that once we're bigger and we can accommodate that, we will. It's just that that our our mission and our job right now is to penetrate the market in the speediest way. And that means we need to go after companies that can actually move quickly. And so that's what we're focused on. That makes sense. And, and having that core focus is, is obviously crucial. Now, in a world dominated by men, software VCs and founders are mostly white, mostly male. You've raised money from some pretty heavyweight VCs. What's your perspective on the challenges of being a female tech founder raising VC funding during the 2020s? I have a lot to say on the subject. Um, It's very near and dear to my heart. I'm also devoting a lot of my time, both being mentored by female founders who made it and are running unicorns today and mentoring other female founders who are earlier in their journey than I am. And, um, and it's, a, it's an incredible mission of mine to see, to see more women taking the risk and uh, jumping into the waters and, uh, and becoming um, tech entrepreneurs and, and founders, as well as, you know, it's, they don't necessarily have to be founders. It, we're, we're not seeing enough women joining early stage startups full stop as, you know, as first employees. So there is something to be said there about risk taking, and there is something to be said there about how we can encourage more women to take that risk and to gamble on themselves as I like to, as I like to uh, place the bet on themselves, as I like to say. So when it comes to fundraising, I obviously met dozens of investors and it was never lost on me that I am, you know, that I'm probably not fitting the profile that they're used to see. And I think that is the problem rather than the fact that I'm a woman, because I would like to believe that there was never a case of me sitting in that room pitching and the investor's thoughts in his or hers, probably his mind was, were, well, you know, great pitch, great startup. I wish I had a man sitting in front of me right now, right? It would have made my life easier. I want to believe that's not the case. And that's because I I still believe in the humankind. But I do believe that when it comes to their deal flow partners meetings, it's easier for them to place their bets on founders that resemble a certain profile that fit a certain typecast. And Usually that is someone who is, you know, has been on this journey for a while, has worked for, you know, a unicorn or been an entrepreneur in residency in one of the major VCs or, or has some sort of a profile, a winner, quote unquote, profile 
Someone who's already in the club or already at least on the, the fringes of the club. Yeah. Absolutely. And mostly that's not, you won't see a woman falls into that, into that typecast. So it's never a gender call for them, but it's a typecast call for them. And that makes it much harder for women and numbers speak for themselves. Um, in 2020, only 2% of VC funding globally was, went into female-led startups. That's a problem. You touched upon attracting females to startups as well. So these, these two separate but related issues, getting more people to be brave enough to, as females to found a company and to approach VCs for funding and attracting female talent to startups and scale-ups. Have you got some views, some perspectives on how to improve those two somewhat related um, areas? I think, um, you know, it's a bottoms up and tops down type of solution, right? We need more women taking risk. It's our job. You know, I'm a mother of two girls. I feel it's it's very much the job of parents also to educate their daughters into taking risks. And it's a, it's the job of educators at school and university to get more women into entrepreneurship because there is an issue of finding financial security and stability, which sometimes deters. We know statistically that it deters more women than men post-graduating from taking jobs at early stage startups or founding startups themselves. So there is definitely a, a, an issue of education and getting more women into that habit of taking risks. You know, I'll, let, I'll talk about one of our most recent clients, a company called eToro, a fintech company in the space of investments. And I don't want to steal their thunder, but I believe it was already announced by them. They're launching this huge initiative called Invest With Her, which is all about driving more women into investments because we're seeing a huge gap between, you know, between men and women on that front too. And in my view, it all comes down to risk, right? It all comes down to the risk profile that, uh, that men are willing to take as opposed to women with men willing to take more risk and and men believing that they can draw a picture of the future and see it with more confidence than, than women might admit. Now, of course, I'm generalizing here, but it's a difference that is talked about kind of academically today and actually very much relates to the ability to raise funding because the our job sitting in that room pitching to investors is to draw a picture of the future and to be able to eloquently explain and articulate that future to investors and say, here's how we see it and here's how our product is going to get us there, right? And here's why we're going to be hugely successful and why we're going to be a big, meaningful global company. And so these are exactly the patterns that are needed. And that confidence is what we need to be able to, more women need to be able to demonstrate. Um, so there's definitely work to do there. 
But I believe the change also needs to come from the, the very top. So investors need to be more aware of this. So for example, um, there's been a research done on questions that female entrepreneurs are being asked by VCs as opposed to male entrepreneurs. And it was seen that male entrepreneurs are being asked questions of almost lead me into, take me with, take me along the journey, right? Bring me into your thinking. How would you be successful? Whilst women are being asked, how are you going to be, how are you going to overcome this problem? So women need to almost justify their standing point whilst men are, all they need is to take you along the journey or convince you that you have a seat next to him. So these are the kind of differences we're seeing in the, in the world of, um, of VCs. And in terms of the employee base rather than the, the founders and the, the, the funding process, can Vault itself make some impact on employee diversity and inclusiveness? Absolutely. Our platform gives an answer to a range of issues of ethical breaches and problems that people might experience in the in their working life. And many of these problems, whilst not all, but many of these problems revolve around things like discrimination, racism, sexual harassment, bullying in the workplace. And so when you give people a voice and you help them to speak up and and report these issues, you automatically create a more diverse environment. A research found that women who've been subject to sexual harassment are six and a half times more likely to leave within the first 12 months after the incident. And when they do, they leave on lateral terms. So they, they don't take it as a opportunity to step up the career ladder, uh, but they take uh, a lateral opportunity somewhere else. So it has a huge impact on their career going forwards. In order to retain the best talent, in order to maintain a diverse talent in the workplace and underrepresented uh, groups of employees, the employer's job is to ensure that people have the opportunity to raise these concerns in ways that feel comfortable for them to do so. So Vault gives that certainty. Another thing we do, which is very unique to us, is a feature called Go Together, which enables people to come forward under the condition they're not the first or only one to be reporting a certain issue. So our technology can identify a repeated pattern and connect the dots on these issues giving people strength in numbers and giving companies the opportunity to know there is a a looming issue that they must address. This technology, this ability is especially important for women and and underrepresented employees uh, because we know strength in numbers is very, very important when it comes to speak up. You mentioned in our last conversation that you believe magic happens when people get together and there's another topical theme actually because we're recording this interview the day after the UK government advised everyone who can do so to return to to home working once again due to the um, Omicron variant. So what are the biggest challenges of remote working from your perspective uh, as a startup founder and how are you and your team ensuring that magic still happens when your employees are working remotely? 
it is a big topic for us. As I mentioned to you on our last call, as we were prepping for this podcast recording, I was a huge fan of The Office. Vault did not have a work from home policy, surprisingly, uh, in the good old days prior to uh, COVID. We had no problem with that. We know that we always knew, you know, we, there are adults working in this company. And if anyone needs to stay at home because of whatever reason, it wasn't an issue, but we didn't have it as a policy. I very much believed in locking that door, going to work, making that effort, coming into an office where you're surrounded by your team and dedicating yourself to work completely. I was also a big advocate of then coming back home <laughs> and locking that door again, shutting that door again behind you, leaving work behind you and devoting yourself to your family or your partner or, uh, or some quality time with yourself, right? So I, I was a big advocate of that, of that as well. I do believe that magic happens when people come together. I feel that's, you know, I know for myself, I know that's where my creativity is coming from. I'm an extrovert and I get my energy out of exchanging ideas with smart people. And the biggest privilege I have as a founder, which I am not taking for granted, is the fact that I can choose the people I work with. It's a huge privilege. It's, it's, like no other, right? And so my biggest pleasure is then to surround myself with these great minds and uh, wonderful human beings. And, uh, and that's when my magic happens for sure. But <laughs> there was a little pandemic that changed things. And we made a decision after a year in, I believe it was, that we need to move from proactive to strategic approach and intentional approach about our ways of working. And we moved to a completely remote model. I didn't feel like we can do hybrid very well. I felt like it will be an energy drain if we will. And we should just choose an approach and stick with it and be very intentional about it. Okay. So you, so you went from one extreme to the other in a way. Well, yeah, we were already a year into the pandemic, so we were accustomed to it. And we found out that the company is doing great, that we're delivering, that we closed a big round of uh, financing whilst we were working remotely. And so we made that decision. And one of the best things we've seen out of it, and don't get me wrong, I still miss that magic of getting together, but one of one of the best things we've seen is the opportunity to hire everywhere. And talking about diversity and inclusion, I think that's one of the biggest contributing factors. So firstly, enabling our people to decide where they want to live. And we did have members of our team moving out of the, you know, out of London, out of the big cities into different locations. And that's great for the economy and that's great for them and for their choice of a lifestyle. But it also meant that we could hire outside of the big cities. At that point, we only hired in, in London and in San Francisco. And, and these are two big, affluent, expensive cities. When you open up to complete remote model, you get to hire people from different backgrounds, you get to hire people from all walks of uh, society. And that's important for companies' diversity, for sure. So I feel we've made the right choice. 
by doing so. We save on offices, but we're also giving people an access to a co-working space wherever they live if, or help them or, you know, give them a or contribute towards a home office improvement and redesign. And we also bring the company together twice a year in different locations abroad. And we use that opportunity to do some training, to work together, to work on our strategic objectives and to really get to know each other well. And again, magic happens during those those, um, meetups as well. It's great that the magic happens you know, during those meetups and it's equally great that you've been able to expand the pool of talent, the diversity that you're able to hire. But I'm still curious about your sense that magic happens when everybody can get together. How are you in the remote setups you have? Okay, you have some co-working offices and so on, but generally you're remote now. So how are you ensuring the magic is still happening on a regular basis. You know, Gary, a lot of our inspiration and and, and magic and mojo comes from the mission we're on, right? We are an impact startup. We're a mission-led startup. And we have a very unique product that aims to make the world of work a safer, healthier, and more diverse place. And that's what brings us together. And that's what connects us. So every time, you know, as, as our company grows and we're winning additional clients and we know that we've just added, a, you know, a few thousand people are now covered and protected by our platform, that in itself is something that keeps us together and keeps us focused on the mission. I think it's a huge factor in why we're able to recruit the people that we recruit and retain the people we retain and why people are so thrilled to be working for Vault. Netta, you're such a mission-driven lady. What's the legacy you would love to leave behind? There are two big legacies. One is to do with our product itself. My vision is that we become an essential part of every company's compliance and HR toolkit, right? And that effectively we can prevent some of the most damaging future stories from happening. And that is that that is what we that is what we work towards. The opportunity to prevent the next big oil spill or save a company from a big discriminatory case or save a bank from a big money laundering scandal that that costs us all as as consumers and 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 taxpayers right that's the mission that's the goal when it comes to my personal my personal ambition we have the double bottom line right we have the the bottom line of growth which every venture backed startup has and we have the impact one and I am very keen to demonstrate that they're not mutually exclusive, that they actually work together and to become this huge, meaningful, large company that we are on track of becoming whilst proving that you can do that when everything you are and everything you're about is your purpose. It's going to be huge. And I think it's going to open the door to many others and truly redefine where money and investments are are flowing and what type of startups are being 
are gaining more focus and attention for all the right reasons. So that's the big, that's the big vision. This episode of the Startup to Scale Up Game Plan was brought to you by Alpina Search. Head over to www.alpinasearch.com for advice on scaling your technology startup and recruiting high-impact senior talent.